This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by Hilton. Restaurant or room service? What would the boss do? Either way, the boss would choose Hilton Hotels and Resorts to get down to business. And a little pleasure. Check out Hilton Hotels and Resorts. Travel like the boss. Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of Vox Media. The whole thing. The, the whole thing. Also The Verge, the which whole is thing. the website that we run. I'm Neil I, your friend. Paul Miller is here. Hello. Dieter Bone is here. Hi. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Hi. <laughs> it's review week at The Verge. Another one. Fall hardware season continues to be in full effect. I reviewed the iPad Pro. Dieter reviewed the MacBook Air. Right now, as we speak, Samsung is holding an event announcing foldy phones, uh, which is wild. Google just announced support for foldy phones. In Android, Dieter had a little bit of that. Uh, so we have a lot going on on this episode. Uh, but first, I want to ask a question to you both. You ready? Yeah. Do is it you, about Bixby on foldy phones? It's not about Bixby on foldy because it's 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 a it's a, that if because you could have two screens right and then you'd have two Bixbys and it would be an <laughs> eight legged dog. Oh my god! It'd be a spider dog. This is the with worst. Shoes. Yeah, okay. Bixby. Bixby arachnid. Um, now here's my question: <laughs> Do you text uh, with proper grammar or do you text in all lowercase? Depends on whom I'm texting. I do not text my parents in all lowercase. Uh, I give them proper grammar. Paul, what about you, man? Well, I text a lot from my laptop because I still haven't quit iMessage. So then if I'm on, what? on my laptop, yeah. So if I'm on my laptop, I feel like I'm a liar if I do like phone capitalization. But sometimes it will fake phone cap- capitalization to look like I'm texting from my phone. But mostly I just do whatever the phone does. I don't fight the fight the phone's default capitalization. Interesting. Okay. So I am. I think I'm with you mostly, Paul. Except on my computer, it's always all lowercase because I don't have autocorrect on. The reason I bring this up is Ashley Carmen and Caitlin Tiffany, their episode of Why'd You Push That Button is so deep on this this week that I think everyone should listen to it. They talked to a linguist. The linguist was like, you're code switching. You're automatically in your brain thinking about how you want to express yourself to who you're – it's a lot. Like literally everyone should listen to this episode. It's the most Why'd You Push That Button episode ever. They got Kara. Yeah, her copy editor's on it, just being mad that no one no one will do what she does all day professionally. <laughs> copy <laughs> editor. Uh, anyway, go listen to it. It's great. I wanted to plug it. But it's super – you can ask anybody that question and they will think about it because everyone does it so differently. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite episodes ever. Anyway, this week I made the internet mad. Just very mad. No, you didn't make the internet mad. You made a, a slice of it mad. Okay, so I have a theory, an ongoing theory. Okay. The, the, the more important you are, the less actual work you do, and the more likely you are to be an iPad user. Ooh. So, like, billionaire, like, people are like, billionaires use iPads. That must be fine. I'm like, all billionaires do is look at PDFs that were generated on a Mac. That's what they do with their mm. iPads. They're like, let me review that spreadsheet that someone did real work to make. That's my theory. And I think I, I irritated that whole class of people. Because I reviewed the iPad Pro, the new one, which is a remarkable piece of hardware running iOS 12, which, Dieter, you've, you've, you traditionally have reviewed iPads for us. Last year, Dieter reviewed the iPad Pro 10.5. It was running iOS 10. And yes. the promise was iOS 11 would make it better. iOS 11 came. I think we all know that iOS 11 was a little rough around the edges. iOS 12 came out, focused on cleaning up the rough edges, really added no features to the thing. So now the new iPad Pro is here, squared off design, looks super cool, great screen, insane processor, iOS 12. And I said this to Dieter during the review. I was like, I'm just going to like say it out loud. Like I'm, I'm just going to say I don't like this. 
uh, <laughs> you, it literally prevents you from getting things done. iOS 12 is not, it just doesn't let you do a bunch of stuff. And then you have to spend all of your time figuring out how to do stuff instead of doing stuff. What I'm hearing is an elaborate self-own where you're not important enough to only use an iPad. Is that what I'm hearing? It's something like that. So here's okay. here's the thing. Like before before you get finished, Eli. Like the the thing that people he, we've been talking about can the iPad replace computers since literally the first iPad, right? Um, and the answer was always no, no, no. And then it was like, but maybe, maybe soon in the past couple of years. And so when Eli comes out and says like definitively no. It cannot do that right now. People don't hear that. They hear the same argument that everybody's been having for the past four years. The thing that I think Neil did differently with this review is he said, we're done sort of waiting for Apple to fix it next year. Uh, this is like Apple is making very outsized claims like that it is a full on complete citizen that can be your main device. Like they're absolutely yeah. making that claim. And so if before Apple would be like, it's great and like it could and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so we would judge it based on like that idea of that device. If you've got a lot of money and you want a nice thing, get it. If you want to replace your computer with it, you really got to know what you're doing. But like no one, Apple's not actually trying to really, truly make you do that. I think with this iPad, they are. And so it was time to revisit that whole debate. And uh, I did. Uh, <laughs> but it has made it has it has made people mad because they're not. They're they're responding to their ideas about what the iPad has been over the past three, four years, not to this specific device right now and the claims that it's trying to make is my sense of the outlines of the problem here. Well, so there's there's two that we should actually talk about the iPad, but there's two there's two yeah. things. <laughs> One is there are all the people who are like, it did replace the laptop for me, right? Yep. I use an iPad every day and you're telling me I'm wrong. And I don't I'm not actually telling them they're wrong. I think some people can just use an iPad every day. I think the argument for why you need the iPad Pro instead of the $329 iPad if you are able to use it every day is extremely difficult to make, uh, apart from mm -hmm. the keyboard cover. Like if the, the cheaper iPad had the keyboard connector on it, I would literally say no one should buy an iPad. What you're going to do on it is iPad things, then you, should, you can get that one. Except for music production, there yeah. is an amazing realm of processor pegging music effects and interconnected apps that actually do interoperate with each other despite the limitations of the iPad. That's like a one weird zone of where you actually would want a pro. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with that. And that stuff is super cool. And every single one of those people also has a MacBook Pro. That's what I mean. Like, yes, the iPad can turn into this crazy music production thing. But then when you want to like finish that project, you bring it over to a MacBook Pro and you like use Logic. If Logic Pro. was on the iPad Pro, it made a lot of sense. If Final Cut Pro is on the Mac, like it's not, that stuff isn't there. So it becomes this like single purpose tool and the processor performance is there. The people who are like, I can just replace my laptop because my set of needs is so constrained. If the cheaper iPad had a keyboard connector, then they should all spend $329 and that thing would dominate the market. So that's like yeah. one set of people. Then I think there's the the set of people who see the promise of the future, who want to weave elaborate tales about how, so it must be that we all must change. And we went from the command line to the graphical user interface. Mm. And, you know, people oh, wanted these to- These are the people who are accusing you of being stuck in your old ways, uh, yeah. demanding that all computers never change. And if a computer does change, therefore anybody who, you know, they, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
Yes. You're, yeah. Because they yeah. all tweeted yeah. at me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I know exactly what they're saying. Um, and that's, I, I, I get that too, right? Like, computers change. Like, we all moved from, uh, I don't know, desktops to laptops. Then we all moved from laptops to phones. Like, yes, the way we use computers change. Phones and broadband in particular led to a huge amount of change. The whole, like, command line to, to graphical user interface thing, that change happened before people had computers, right? Like, Microsoft's vision at that time was a computer on every desk. Yeah. That's where they were going. And now it's like, mm-hmm. yo, everybody has a computer in their pocket. So, like, you you have to give, like, people the credit of everyone has a supercomputer in their pocket. Everyone is fluent in computers and the internet in some extremely meaningful way. And so if you say, here's a pro device that you can max out at $2,200, you can't be like, also, you're too stupid to use it, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, the, that, that's the, the argument to me that the iPad Pro seems to be making. You can spend all of the money on it, and then it still treats you like you're a little bit too dumb. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe we can imagine a future of work. Because I've, I've thought about this. You know, like the, in, in the, the Greek times, they were all rich because they, because they had slaves, pretty much. And they would walk around and talk philosophy to each other, right? Yeah. But like, even in more modern times, you know, some of our greatest thinkers were walkers and talkers. Like, they did most of their greatest work walking around and having epiphanies. Then they'd maybe rush back and use a MacBook Pro to write down the equation or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but can we can we just reimagine a future of work where mostly what we need to do is walking and talking? Or like or Microsoft's version where you're like always, you know, flipping that that two and one from in yeah. different modes. You know what I mean? Can and we you're circling just redesign stuff wildly? Yeah. Like what if your job involved more circling and less file management. I don't. So there is not a job in the world, a creative job in the world. Well, so it's like mm-hmm. there are many jobs in the world. There is not a creative <laughs> professional job in the world that does not involve file management. It is just the reality of being uh, like a, a creative pro. What are you doing? You are generating assets. What are you generating assets out of? Other assets, right? Mm-hmm. And so at some point, you've generated files, and you can abstract that a little bit. So Creative Cloud and Dropbox and OneDrive and I, like yeah, all of that abstracts d- it a little bit. Dropbox just announced these like so extension type things where you you do these small, very limited in scope third party actions on files that are in your cloud. Yeah, sure. Does that get you closer? No, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I feel like I should talk about the. We got so far into. It. I was so ready for this conversation. I have an iPad Pro. <laughs> that is what you. Yes. Yeah. Have. You, it's the it's the twelve point nine or whatever, right? Yes, they gave me the twelve point nine inch version with LTE and a terabyte of storage. Why didn't they just call it thirteen? I don't know. Whatever. Keep going. Okay, for the same reason they priced it at eighteen ninety nine and not nineteen hundred, Dieter. <laughs> um, so it's it's huge. It's small. Like I showed it to Casey Newton today, and he was like, "Yeah, this is way too big. This is like comedy levels of iPad." So it's it's smaller in the sense that it feels more wieldy than the old twelve point nine, which is like doofy looking huge. So it, yeah. it, it feels the right size for what it is. I think the smaller one is still what most people get. Anyway, so Apple gave me the most iPad. They gave me a set of AirPods. The total for all of this is like $2,300 and change. Like it's a it's an enormous amount of money. Because the pencil's like one something, 150 Everything is more expensive than last year. So the pencil's 30 bucks yeah. more than last year. It's 129 The keyboard cover is more expensive. The iPad itself is more expensive. The AirPods are the same price. 
Uh, Apple's new price is like 129. That's where they live. That's their that's sort of the Apple accessory price. So the big question is, what am I reviewing here? Right? It comes in two sizes. It comes in a million configurations, but they chose purposefully to give me the most iPad Pro that one can can get. A so, twenty three hundred dollar. What's a computer? Yeah. Uh, well, twenty two hundred. <laughs> the iPad, the, the the AirPods don't count. So a twenty two hundred dollar. What's a computer? Well, um, the AirPods mm-hmm. count insofar as if you want to listen to audio not through the speakers, you need to buy something because yeah, it doesn't come with headphones. headphones. <laughs> and does it come with a dongle, a headphone dongle? It does not. The headphone dongle, Apple's USB-C to headphone dongle is $9. So it's either you know $2,209 or it's $2,300 and change if you, if you buy AirPods. But Apple's solution is obviously AirPods. So they, they gave me this $2,300 bundle of stuff. And I... I, don't, I just felt really strongly that if that's what they wanted to show me, if they wanted to be like, here's the best thing we can make, uh, that we should treat it like that. And what struck me about it using it, and we're going to talk about the MacBook Air in a little bit because you reviewed that, is that's more expensive than the MacBook Air for a piece of hardware that is unquestionably more powerful, that has an unquestionably yep. de- better display, that has Apple's custom design processor in it that can just run circles around the Intel processor in the Air. And yes, it's it's way more expensive, but you can get the 11-inch version of this for 800 bucks. So you get a smaller screen, but you still get a better display, a faster processor. You know, Apple's all of Apple's custom design stuff. You get a front-facing camera with Face ID. MacBook Air doesn't have that. So Apple will charge you a $400 premium to use a more flexible operating system against the entry-level Pro, right? So if you if you want a MacBook Air, you get a worse computer and a more flexible operating system for twelve hundred bucks, or you can get a kick ass piece of hardware and an operating system that will stymie you constantly, and that to, that's like damning. That's that is the argument for they should just stick an A twelve processor in a Mac and call it a day. Yeah, right. I mean, I really do feel like this generate like. The past few years, like, oh, God, when are they going to switch Macs to ARM? It's going to be so painful. Apps are going to suck, and nothing will be compatible, and it's going to be a hard transition. Uh, but now, after these computers came out, I think that if Apple doesn't switch the Mac to ARM in the next year or two at the outside, people are going to be livid. Yeah, they're going to say, why can't we get this thing? You're forcing us over to iOS. And the thing about yeah. being forced into iOS, I put this on Twitter, but what did we make? Like, we... I think people forget this all the time. We are, we're the verge. Like we make the verge every day. There's a team of creative professionals here who make videos and take photos and draw illustrations. Uh, All of the things Apple says you should be able to do with an iPad, there are professionals who work at the verge who do those things. So I handed it off to Dami, who's uh, like a kick-ass cartoonist. She has a book. You should go buy it. Will Joel is our design director. He does all of our like... Just all of our design, but he does a bunch of 3D work. Uh, Alex Castro is our illustrator. He didn't use it, but he used Photoshop on the, when we did that story. And all of them are like, I just ran into walls. Like, I need to use a real computer. And they kept using that phrase, right? Like, Apple yeah. doesn't want you to use that phrase. The, the proponents of the iPad don't want you to use that phrase. Like, it is a real computer. And yet, when people are like, use it, normal people try to do their jobs with it. They're like, yeah, this is great. And now I need a real computer. I used an iPad Pro at The Verge in the capacity as a writer, you know, so I wasn't doing a lot with rich media and I was able to do it fairly well, except 
when you send the newsletter, there's this little slider that you have to be able to adjust. And the <laughs> mobile Safari can't get a hold of the slider. So I'd get the newsletter all prepared, and then I'd send it off to someone with a real computer <laughs> to move the slider for me. Yeah. And that's it. It's just shit like that. Like, mobile Safari is embarrassing. That there, You just have to admit it. Like, it's the phone browser. Bigger. Mm. Right? And, like, you know what, the, you know what a, a 10s Max can do? Tabs. That's it. Like that's that was the big thing that the iPad version of mobile Safari could do, and now the 10s Max can do it too. What are you getting more out of mobile Safari? If Google is the one, and you know, Apple like likes to shade Google because everyone wants to use Google Docs and Safari in an iPad, but it kicks you to the app. Yeah. Google's not taking any advantage of the iPad in that app. They're not making that experience better. So I would love to take the pencil and draw all over a Google Doc to edit it, but I can't. Mm. So what is the purpose of not having all of the features of Google Docs in the web client? I can't tell. I don't know. But so the the argument is you should yell at Google for not having their app updated. Or I should yell at Apple for not having a browser that just lets me address Google Docs on the web, which is what everyone else can do. Yeah, the reason I bring that up is the thing about computers is that there are a million little things that you want to do, and the computer Mm -hmm. is supposed to be a general computer that can do whatever you want it to. And so you you should only be, you know, limited by certain things. And there are more limitations on the iPad than there need to be given the power of the hardware. And the browser is a really perfect example of, yes, a full desktop class browser in a perfect world, you wouldn't need it because everybody would make their web pages compatible with the you know more battery efficient, lighter weight mobile Safari or Microsoft Edge or whatever. In the actual world where we live, mm-hmm. there are a million little things like the slider on your newsletter sending tool or Google Docs or whatever that a more powerful general purpose browser is useful for. And so can you make the iPad your main computer? Sure, but you're going to run into these little things all the time. Um, well, and this this is why I like this thought experiment of the future of work, because if, if the iPad is designed for this perfect world, what would we all do in this perfect world? Would it, would it actually work? If the newsletter software on the web was fixed and I could do the slider there, like, you know, that kind of stuff, if, if, yeah. if everything worked... If would everything it, was designed for enough? the iPad Pro, then using the iPad Pro would be awesome. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we'd all just be walking and talking and firing off newsletters and drawing equations. Yeah. I mean, the world would be perfect. <laughs> so maybe a different way to talk about this so that you can get a little less hate Twitter and we can talk a little bit more about the hardware is compared to a, the previous generation iPad, is this a good computer? I think most people who have the previous, unless they're these music producers that you're talking about that are, that are pushing the processor, this I think this is true of all iOS devices. It's true of the phone too. The previous generation is still really fast. Like Apple makes kick-ass processors, yep. so you weren't maxing it out before, and so you're gonna you might see some like on the order of milliseconds improvement in flipping around web pages and sending off emails, mm-hmm. but you're not going to see a huge difference. You might like the Face ID better. Sure, mm-hmm. that, that's fun to use. The fact that you can like flip around any orientation and Face ID works is like incredible. Like Apple built a really good implementation of that. Uh, the cameras are marginally better, like, and they're marginally better only because of software and the A12. So it's they made a new sensor on the back that's way thinner, um, but is supposed to have the same performance as the previous camera, but it runs Smart HDR. 
right? So Apple will do mm. some smart HDR stuff to the camera. But odd, unless you're a serious iPad photographer, are you going to notice that? Probably not. And then there's USB-C, which yeah. uh, the reality of USB-C on the iPad today, and I don't think this will stay reality forever, but the reality today is that if you had a previous iPad and you were really interested in plugging a bunch of stuff into it and you have a bunch of lightning dongles, USB-C is not going to change your life, right? No. So if you had an, a lightning to HDMI and you, you were the person who was like running Keynote on a big display with an iPad, great. Mm-hmm. Now you can do that with a USB-C adapter, but the experience is exactly the same. If you were the sort of person who really did import a lot of photos and you had the SD card adapter, I have the SD card, the lightning SD card adapter. Now you can use a USB-C SD card adapter and it'll be a little bit faster. But like the the thing is the the experience of that is still exactly the same. So over time, what you will get is you'll 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 if you are the kind of person who travels with both a MacBook and an iPad because you have to because you need to have a quote unquote real <laughs> computer with you, you'll be able to use the same uh, charging brick on both, which is great. Yeah, I, you get all the benefits of USB C. That's the big thing. But if you were already like I got to plug a bunch of shit in my ma- in my iPad, um, and you had the dongles to do it, well, you're just gonna have to buy new dongles, and it's gonna be. The software is going to not let you do more with USB-C. And I think that is like, again, it's Apple. Like the example I keep using that people keep yelling at me about is external storage. There are apps in this world that will let you address a hard drive with an iPad Pro. That is true. Um, there's like the SanDisk iExpand that everyone keeps tweeting me about. Great. I'm happy it exists. But you put a USB-C port on there, you should be able to plug in a, a, a hard drive. What do creative pros do? They make files. What do our what does our staff do? They run around with cameras, they shoot onto cards, and they gotta read the cards into an app to edit the video. That's a thing they have mm. to do. Well, you plug that stuff in the iPad Pro and you know, just a regular hard drive won't do anything. Like the files app won't show it. Maybe someone else is gonna write another app that will address it. Sure, but then you gotta get it into the iPad's idea of a file system, which is like iCloud Drive or Dropbox or something. So you're you're just moving it into another place. You're not addre- you're never addressing it directly with an app, or uh, you put in a camera card or you plug in a camera, and it just insists that you import everything into the iOS camera roll, which would be fine. Like to be clear, this would be fine if that didn't also just like sync to iCloud, just like relentlessly sync to iCloud. And if you're me and you have like a bunch of photos you take of your family and a bunch of photos you take for work which presumably creative professionals don't want to commingle their personal and professional asset collections, uh, you mm-hmm. just end up with this messy photo library. Like, it doesn't even give you the option to say, like, make a new library, right? There's just this one iOS iCloud photo library. So now, like, I have photos on my phone, and it's, like, 10,000 photos of the USB-C connector of the iPad because I took those photos and imported. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and those are just work photos, and I got to, like, go back and delete them. And it, that's just dumb. Like, it's not a restriction that gets Apple anything. I can't even figure out what benefit accrues to Apple with n- not letting Lightroom or Photoshop or Affinity Photo or whatever directly address a card on a camera, right? Like, uh, so the benefit that accrues to Apple is I think they believe that they get better security and sandboxing because, you know, not any random app can read any random file. And so if you plug in a USB stick that uh, you picked up in North Korea, you don't have to worry about it hacking your device. Uh, it also gets Apple. Um, uh, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I just I'm I'm, I'm here. I am playing devil's advocate. OK, let me, let me do it. It also gets them, you know, the 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 effort of not having made the iPad 
more of a general purpose device. And that involves, well, no, and that involves like real work. Like if you're going to do that and you're going to genuinely secure yourself against the random North Korean thumbstick, you need to do some more stuff, right? Apple, I think, is still sort of hanging on to this idea that they can appliancify computing and run everything through the app store. And, you know, at some point, if you really open it up a little bit more, like that could go away a little bit. Uh, they also get simplicity. They get the idea of simplicity because if you mount a hard drive on your computer, it shows up on the desktop or in the finder or some other place. And I don't know, maybe Apple just doesn't think that the core, you know, shell, the core UI of iOS is robust enough to handle some of those more complex use cases. The rumor was iOS 12 was going to be a big redesign of the home screen. But like a better way to think about that is they're working on like a overhaul of like the idea of the shell like when you talk think about desktops yeah, yeah, yeah. there's different linux shells you can pick or whatever supposedly that's going to come with ios 13 and so maybe ios will be better next year neil so uh, let me let me grant you this premise right yeah uh that you don't want this complexity like okay you don't want the complexity of a finder or windows explorer like i get it you know what you want to do you want the people who need that complexity to have to seek it out go someplace you know, maybe you make another app just to deal with files. And you could call that app Files, which is the app on the iPad that is supposed yeah. to help people manage files. Like, why doesn't mm -hmm. it just show up there? Right? I if, and I could even see the argument, and maybe this is too much complexity, that the cheaper iPad shouldn't do any of this. That's your computing appliance, right? And if you want to address a file system, if you want to have a USB-C port, if you want to do all this other stuff, that's why you spend the money on the Pro. Maybe that's too much complexity for Apple. I don't know. But I, I think it's just tired. Like, I was talking to someone who knows what they're doing, and they try saying, I keep running these roadblocks. I'm tired of figuring out ways around them. And they sincerely tried to convince me that the iPad was just a toddler and that, you know, it hasn't grown up. And I was like, it's eight years old, right? Hmm. They're selling a yeah. $2,200 iPad. Like, we have to stop making excuses for the future. It either yeah. is also, or it isn't. The, the other argument against simplicity is one that I... I, I bang on about all the time. When I was eight years old, I understood how to use a file system, right? Yeah. I did. Uh, people are smart. Like, you know, the, the cliche is like, grandma figured out Windows. It will be fine if you add some complexity to the iPad. My dad bought a external hard drive that was Windows formatted and it launched him into a wizard to install some weird oh, driver yeah. Yeah. to run a Windows. And I was like, I had to like uninstall multiple programs and yeah. uh, reformat the drive for him. So so there, there are some small complexities. But again, I... I it seems like Apple has, like Neil, I said, there is a files app. Apple has the abstraction to deal with this. Like, can't they just, if, if they solve this next year, is this a good thing now? Like, it, do, do they really need to rethink the whole experience to make this stuff work? Or if they just added external drive support and in a, in a like a file open dialogue for third-party apps, would that be enough? Um, I think the browser is a huge stumbling block yeah so i think they gotta they gotta spend some real serious time thinking about mobile safari um yeah. uh, the files thing gonna, is like a medium yeah. a medium thing like most people don't yeah. need it but if they want to sell it to creative professionals they got to solve that problem that's just yeah. real if you if they want to show me the lightroom demo they gotta let me manage files that's all yeah. lightroom is like it's a file management and photo editing piece of software it's great and i love it and i i can be very positive about the ipad too Editing photos in Lightroom CC on the iPad Pro is a delight. 
It is delightful. It is an incredible mm. display. It is probably the best display most people will ever own because it, you know it's 120 hertz variable refresh rate. Like all that is super cool. Like you know Macs don't do that. Most Windows PCs don't do that. So that it's like just an incredible screen to look at a photo on and like edit. But you know what? Lightroom CC is not as powerful as Lightroom Classic CC in a Mac. So like that's the mm. third problem they have to solve is the apps that are happening on the iPad are not nearly as powerful or capable is the apps are happening on desktop. And you make that argument, and people are like, well, yeah, but no desktop computer can do AR. And it's like, I don't, it's not real. <laughs> it's great that you have all this AR kit stuff. It's great that they showed us the demo of, like, we're going to wave 12-inch iPads around a Lego castle and things are going to blow up. But that is just more entertainment, right? It's just more consumption. It's not creation, which is traditionally the knock on the iPad. And I think they got to they gotta get there with these creative apps before they can make the claim they can do all this other stuff. But if you're an iPad person, you're going to love it. Like, that's like all I can keep saying. Like, if you're the sort of person who goes into it with their eyes open, this is the best iPad that's ever been made. I just don't, I, I just think it's time to stop pretending that, like, the future of computing looks like Apple's restrictions. And I think it's also time to stop making excuses because whatever the iPad is now is exactly the thing Apple wants it to be. It, it's not like, we'll get to it next year. It's not, this is the first generation. This is a very real product that is... Like, it has one of the best processors you can get in it. Like, just let me use it. I have noticed, though, there are still some rough edge. I don't think they fully made the transition to the, what is it, post-iOS 11 era, when they kind of started to change things up. Like, copy and paste can be really flaky on the iPad between a copy that you make using your fingers on the screen and a copy that you make using the keyboard shortcut. Like, I do think they have a lot more polish to do still. It, even in this current paradigm. Yeah. But I don't know. You're right, man. Next year. Next iOS year. 13 is coming. And I will say that, you know, there were some people who loved it and some people who hated this. The broad spectrum of other good reviewers, I guess I'll say, I don't know, um, other reviewers we like and trust, totally in agreement. Uh, so David Pierce, the journal, basically said the same thing. Matt Panzerino at TechCrunch, a great Apple reviewer. Uh, he was like, this is great. Maybe the pencil's the future. And then he ended it with, but the software needs to get radically more powerful. And so I think if that's the consensus, I, I feel in good company. I just feel like with this iPad Pro in particular, Apple's claims it's ninety-two it's faster than ninety-two percent of most recent laptops computers shipped. We sell more iPads than than anybody else's entire notebook line. That stuff is it places it in the class of we're gonna compare it to primary computing devices. Primary like Phones are people's primary computing devices, but you, you take what I'm saying. We're we're to compare it to laptops. And if they're going to keep doing that, then I think it's it's just way more fair to say, hey, why does this browser suck? Right now, if someone asked me, like, I just need a cheap laptop to do a bunch of basic stuff, I would almost say, like, you should buy a Chromebook. You should not worry yourself with the iPad Pro. Like, this Chromebook will do more of the things that you want, and mm -hmm. you won't have to worry about quite as much complexity. And that's a weird place for Apple to be, to be the more complicated product. It is definitely the more complicated product. Also, just going to say, I literally like hit myself in the face because I forgot to like demand this went into the review and I, I tweeted about it. It is absurd. It is absurd that the iPad Pro, a $2,300 computer, if you want to spend that much on it, still only assumes that it will ever be used by a single person. Yes. That I if, can't believe I forgot you, to put this in the review. It's ridiculous that there's not multi-user support on it. Yeah. Um, it's it's really strange, especially with Face ID, right? Yep. Like it can just see you and be like, "You're not Neli, you're somebody. You're maybe one of the Verge's many video producers who needs to log into this thing." <laughs> 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 I 
I'm not saying I just had a recent experience with this. Yeah, it's really weird, especially for a computer this expensive, and especially a computer that, you know, lives in shared environments. Like, it's meant to be handed around and passed around. Well, and to Neil's point, I never really thought about this a lot, but they don't even have a work-home work, uh, dichotomy. Like, that is that is a pretty big shortage for this expensive and important of a device i think if you get if you get if you get the thing like uh put in like the enterprise system you can't have some specific they do have some of that stuff Um, yeah schools it's not it's not a schools can do it uh enterprise can do it but it's not a thing that is like generally like available and easy to set up for an average consumer that goes and buys one in a store yeah look i I think at the end of the day this thing is the most kick-ass accessory to your laptop that has ever existed (laughs) it's great and i i I think a lot of pros are going to going to use it that way. And some people are going to have needs that are perfectly serviced by it. And all that is cool. I just think if Apple wants to claim that this is in fact a vision of the future of computing, it needs to, it needs to aggressively pursue that vision instead of suggesting that um, an open connector and a more powerful processor moves it closer. And that's like what Apple does. It makes software. I don't know. I get it. The other piece of context here is if, if you just want a tablet to do tablet stuff, to do iPad stuff, the 329 iPad has no peer. It's not as nice as this Pro. The bezels are bigger and it's got a home button and blah, 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 blah. But I do not know of a better deal in technology than the $330 iPad. It yeah. is just the what you get for that money is it, it outclasses everything. If you want it now, of course, you can get Chromebooks for that cheap that like will let you do other things that the iPad can't do. But in terms of like, raw quality per dollar, the iPad Pro, $330 iPad Pro is still the best thing in the world. Yeah. And I, I think that's really the thing that makes the more expensive one. Like, put, it puts it in a sharper relief. Again, if that if that cheaper one had a keyboard connector, I mean, this is the only computer people should buy. And then maybe the whole world would have to adapt to the fact that people only had iPads, right? Uh, and we could all live in Paul's philosopher king dream. The future of work. Just <laughs> walk, wandering around. Walk and talk. Talk about ideas. No yeah, files. No files. All right. We're going to read an ad. We're going to come back and talk about the MacBook Air, which Dieter reviewed. And get some real work done. This is actually advertiser content from ZipRecruiter and The Road to Hired. Learn more about how one groundbreaking business is attracting the best talent. Check it out. This is The Road to Hired, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. And their UFO crashes on this planet called Smeeborg. That's Gretchen Hubner, co-founder and head of product at Codable, a game that uses fuzzy aliens to teach kids programming skills. Codable was founded in 2013, and it's now been used in tens of thousands of U.S. elementary schools. It's a company with a mission. If programming is something that everyone learns to do when they're young, it's not the boy thing or a girl thing or a nerd thing. It's just something everybody learns. As Codable grew, Gretchen was wearing a lot of hats. All of our sales and marketing, all of our game design first curriculum. So to scale, she needed to find talented and passionate people fast. So she turned to ZipRecruiter and used their candidate screening feature. My favorite thing was the deal breaker questions because I was able to ask people, why do you think it's important for kids to learn to code? It's really important that I know their answer to that. And that's how ZipRecruiter helped Gretchen hire a skilled game artist who was the perfect fit for Codable. Finding that person feels like finding a needle in a haystack. We were able to find somebody who matched our culture, who believes in what we're trying to accomplish, but who also had all the skills that we were looking for. Use ZipRecruiter to find candidates that have all of what you're looking for. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
Thanks for that message from ZipRecruiter. Now you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. All right, Dieter. Yeah. You reviewed the MacBook Air. I did. I have it in front of me right now. I'm staring at it, staring at that little Touch ID button, staring at the screen. Got the brightness cranked up to the absolute max because I'm in a bright room. <laughs> I mean, I don't know quite where to start with it. There's a lot of stuff to get into. Uh, we can talk about the processor. But I, to me, like the most interesting place is I couldn't decide if I thought this was a 12-inch MacBook blown up to 13 inches or a 13-inch MacBook Pro with cheaper parts. I think it's a 12-inch 12, 12 MacBook blown up. I think it's a 13-inch MacBook with cheaper parts. I think it's both, actually, is what I think. But, <laughs> I mean, but I don't understand why Apple didn't release this two years ago. I mean, so that's the main thing. I don't understand yeah. why it has the Y-series processor that's just, like, kind of maxed out all the time. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> okay, so the y, it's got a Y-series processor. If you, like, have heard the stuff, it's uh, they, they power it at 7 watts instead of the standard 5, which means it can run a little bit faster, I think. Um, the fans are spinning up more than I expected on this thing, I think, because that processors running just a little bit hot. Um, there are a bunch of other computers in very similar form factors that use the more powerful U-series Intel chips and seem to do okay on battery life. So did Apple go with Y because of cost? Did they go with Y because of a, they think they can get better battery life out of it? Did they go with Y because they actually are not that impressed with you know U-series performance and they don't really want to like have people get tempted to go four core in this thing or what? It could be all of the above. It does make this thing feel, especially compared to like comparable Windows laptops, just a little bit overpriced and a little bit underpowered. But the truth is that doesn't matter because I don't think it's not realistic that a bunch of people who have MacBook Airs are going to switch to Windows. Like it's just not. And yeah. And so at the end of the day, the where I came down when I reviewed it was to just compare it to the old MacBook Air, which is like, the, it was the most infuriating experience that I know that they like did a tiny processor bump in 2017, but the last major processor revision was in 2015. So that's like three years ago, right? Yeah. And so I am comparing a laptop to something that's three years old. Um, and in fact, even older, if you start talking about the hardware and the screen technology. So of course it's going to be better on every single metric. Um, <laughs> it just, there's nothing for it, right? The screen yeah. is beautiful. Um, it's not full. It's not, it doesn't have as wide a color gamut as a pros. It doesn't get as bright as a pros. It doesn't go edge to edge like other windows laptops. But if you've been using a MacBook air, it is unequivocally better. Right. And like the same goes for down the line for like every other feature, basically, the, t the trackpad is way better. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So the MacBook Air is this like enormously important product, right? And we yeah. for years said it was the best laptop ever made. And I don't know, however many episodes of Control Walt Delete I did, where it was like, Walt well, was like, they just need to update the MacBook Air. I, I have a, a bunker full of them. Uh, <laughs> he really does. Um, you know, I just I don't want to give up on this thing. I mean, they literally invited Walt to this event. Walt is retired, and they invited him to the event to be like, we made a new MacBook Air for you, which is incredible. Yeah. We should just call Walt. Should we just call Walt? Yeah. I mean, I think he got his oh, Okay. Thing. All right, Andrew, can we call Walt? Hello, is this Walt Mossberg? This is Walt Mossberg. I'd like to order 10,000 lattes to go. <laughs> uh, Walt, it's Neil and Dieter and Paul. It's the Vergecast. How you doing? Hi, guys. How are you? I'm good. I heard a rumor that you got your MacBook Air today. I did. I got it, uh, I don't know, an hour ago, 
little more than that. An hour ago, why haven't you written a full review? <laughs> Where's my column, Walt? <laughs> I'm retired, man. I'm not writing reviews anymore. I just write them in Twitter threads. That's quicker. <laughs> That's true. No so, editor. So Apple, yeah, no pesky editor around. Uh, <laughs> so Apple literally brought you out last week. It was fun to have you uh, at the event just around. It was right. great because Walt was like, we were like scrambling like we always do. And Walt was like, what do you think of this? And I was like, I'm going to take a little break and hang with Walt. So you were <laughs> at the event. You saw the, the stuff. You got one today. And I know you were, you were one of the biggest proponents of that sort of first, second generation MacBook Air ever. What do you think of the new one? Um, I actually have one huge complaint. I opened the box and the new MacBook Air did not have any Verge stickers <laughs> or Control Walt delete stickers. I think we saw some Control Walt delete stickers. We'll send some out. I'm sure we do. Some right uh, uh, good. Good, yeah. because I was about to return it <laughs> for, for lack of stickers. Look, my biggest worry about it was the keyboard, you know, that butterfly keyboard. Uh, even assuming that there's no stuck key problem and dirt problem because of that plastic thing they put underneath. You know, it's a different, it's a whole different feel. It has less travel. But I have to say that in my limited experience uh, at the event last week and in my limited experience so far here, uh, obviously very limited, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it so far. Hey, Walt, are you a, are you a loud typer? Because I'm a pretty loud typer. And even this keyboard, which is quieter than the, uh, the previous generation MacBook Pros, people are still like, yo, dude, are you, are you mad? What's going on? <laughs> you, you can definitely hear it more than you can on the air. I read that in your piece. And I've heard about it before. It doesn't sound particularly loud to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's just, maybe it is my style of typing, which is pretty much hunt and peck. So I don't go <laughs> fast and hard, and that may be it. But you know, it's fine for me. I find it a little bit cool that it's smaller than the old MacBook Air, for the because of the bezel thing. It's kind of cool. And I got it in space gray, which you couldn't do on the old one. Yeah. And uh, I think it's the best laptop ever made. I know that the Windows guys have caught up, but I also think that their, you know, Windows itself is kind of a still in a compromised state where it's trying to be partly a tablet and trying to be partly a laptop. And it's not what I personally want. So although I've owned many Windows computers in the past, this thing runs Mac OS. It's all up to date. It's got a retina screen. It's got a up-to-date processor. And uh, it's got actual speakers. The sound is not coming from <laughs> under the keyboard yeah. uh, as it did on this machine at one time. And uh, so far, I'm happy an hour and a half in or whatever it is. So you I, famously, the, you had a like a store of previous generation MacBook Pros. You were like bunkered up with them. You're like Apple's never going to update this. I'm just sticking with it. Is this enough to make you sell off your like collection of, of new inbox MacBook Airs? Yeah. You know, this is a classic internet phenomenon where I bought one spare <laughs> MacBook Air. <laughs> one. It's still all shrink-wrapped, never opened, and it has just like is exploded into this tail <laughs> that I have a hundred or a thousand or something like that. It's like my retirement is completely wrapped <laughs> up in MacBook Airs. <laughs> Every week we take one of them, we go to the supermarket, we trade it in for some fruits and vegetables. <laughs> the answer is I'm not doing anything with that shrink-wrapped older one. 
Who knows? I may need it. I'm a prepper. I'm, you know, got <laughs> got a bunker, and I might need it. So I've got. I'm keeping it. So here, let me go a little bit broader. You know, they released two products last week: the iPad Pro and the MacBook Air. Do you think that this MacBook Air? There's a sense of it where it's like, all right, this is what you wanted. You wouldn't listen to us, so fine, you can have it. Like we put a Retina screen and a Touch ID in the MacBook Air. Great. This is what you. Please stop asking us for it. Or do you feel like these product lines are on disparate paths where they're both sincere products? Does that does that make any sense? Yeah, uh, it does make sense. I think they're on disparate paths. I think that Apple took a wrong turn on the Mac a couple of years ago. I think they tried to take their pro. You know, let me back up for a second, uh, and I'll make this quick. Everybody who knows Apple and knows the history knows that Steve Jobs had this, you know, four-quadrant little graph. He drew pro-consumer, one laptop reach, one desktop reach in those days. And I think what they did a couple of years ago was to take the pro laptop and try to make it uh, a tweener. In fact, that's, when, I, when I reviewed it, I called it a tweener. They tried to make it kind of cover both the market that had been the heirs market and the market that had been the pros market, and I don't think either group of, of customers was happy with it. And I think there, I, I can't prove this, but I think there's been a reconsideration inside Apple. I don't know what else it will lead to, but, you know, who would have expected them to redo the Mac Mini uh, the way they did uh, also. That was widely believed to be left for dead until very recently. So something has changed in their Mac policy, and I do think it's on its own course, separate from the iPad. You know, we can argue about whether that's a good policy or a bad policy, but I think that's been their policy. I think they screwed up the Mac half of it, and I think they're now coming back. I assume there will be an ARM Mac I assume there'll be Macs with more new features than this MacBook Air, but I do think they're they're separate. And I, by the way, you all know that I'm a huge iPad fan as well, and I have an iPad Pro, and I do a ton of stuff on it. Yeah, I think the you know the Apple just had its earnings. We haven't gotten too deep into them, but um, yeah, the Mac revenue is a fifth of the iPhone revenue. It's not a small number by any means, and. On control or delete, you were always telling me the Mac business would be at like a Fortune 500 business all by itself, right? And it's still true. I checked it just a couple of days ago, and it's like almost $26 billion, which would be a Fortune 500 company. And so it's a serious business. This was, at one time at least, the most popular Mac. It's probably not at this moment because they left it so long. You know, to me, it was like the way uh, some people in some cultures leave children, babies they don't want on the hillside to die. <laughs> I feel like that's what they did. Wow. With the, I know it's rough, but you know, the world is rough. Yeah. I um, just, the hills are full of Mac minis and I'm <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, they introduced two Macs. One is the quintessential consumer Mac that they've had immense success with. Finally, you know, kind of brought back to life. And the other was, uh, you know, the, it, what turns out to be a, almost entirely, I can't imagine consumers buying this particular MacBook Mini. It's really a, meant to be a pro, even a server, a uh, pro yeah. machine, even a server. I don't think two years ago, if we'd been having this conversation, we'd have predicted either of those things. So something has changed in the Mac side of their development. Yeah, it's interesting to see Apple kind of respond to clear market demand in this way, 
right? Like they were trying to sunset the MacBook Air. They did that whole presentation with the Pro where they said, look, it's smaller, it's more powerful. Just buy this one. And people still wanted an Air and they kept selling it and they were surprised at how well it continued to sell. They still sell that 2015 Air, by the way. Uh, it's yeah, in a store. It's crazy to me that that product is still available. But they had. It's almost like they, their hand was forced. Like the market just told them to make this product. So, well, do you think? I know you've had it for an hour. Is this a worthy successor to the computer that for years you said, Joanna Stern said, we said, every reviewer said the MacBook Air is just the computer you should buy. Is this a worthy successor to that product? Do you think? I mean, on first impression, on the New York event and the limited time today, I, I would say yes. What I'm doing right now, which everybody who's ever owned a, a Mac and then bought another one uh, knows about, is I'm migrating uh, the data from my old one to this new one, and that takes some hours. The interesting thing is, though, I'm migrating it from a USB-C external drive as opposed to the directly from the Mac. You know, I did a time machine backup to a USB-C external drive, which came with two cords, one with USB-C to USB, I guess, A, and that used that to get the data backed up off the old MacBook Air, and now I'm just doing USB-C to USB-C on the new one. So, you know, I'll dive into it more over the next couple weeks, and maybe I'll do a Twitter thread, I don't know, but... Yes, the answer, I mean, is every experience I've had with it, in my opinion, suggests that this is, it's not more than what the MacBook Air was in terms of advanced radical features, except for Touch ID, but it's um, a really a MacBook Air, with, which is a little bit thinner and a little bit lighter and a little bit smaller, all of which are good things. I'll say one thing, if you buy the non-touch bar, the so-called escape model MacBook Pro, the function key row is really squeezed down. Am I right, Dieter? Really kind of mm -hmm. thin little keys up there. And this one just has regular-sized keys uh, in the row, which ends with the Touch ID button. Wait, really? Yeah. Huh. I, you know, I Take have... Take a look. You, you guys have them. Yeah, I have a MacBook Escape, and I, I, I never really use it. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm sticking, I, I'm sticking with my... I got my 2015 uh, Pro with a... A GPU that is just viciously eating this battery, and yet, yeah. To me, the 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 thing that was amazing about the 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 MacBook Air, the second generation that everybody got, was it was simultaneously the computer for everybody that everybody should just get, and it was also at the same time so far ahead of the rest of the laptop world by at least a, a few years, and it took it took Windows a long time to catch up. This uh, has the benefits of potentially being the every person computer, which is great. But I don't see it being, you know, that far ahead. It's it's basically like a catch-up product in my mind. And that's not a knock on it, but I do think it's it's an interesting question as far as what's going to happen, you know, two, three years from now. Because, uh, you know, Microsoft's devotion to Windows is a little bit softer than it used to be. And Apple's devotion to the Macintosh seems to be a little bit more resurgent. And I'm just wondering, you know, is there, are we going to see a world where the Mac is like radically ahead of the rest of the, the computer world in some way again? Or, you know, is that just, are those days behind us and all that innovation is going into the iPad and the iPhone? That, I'll answer that. I'll, I'm curious what I'll say. But the, that day comes when they put an ARM chip in the Mac. Yeah. I mean, my answer is similar to Neil's. I would go even a little farther. I'm going to repeat what I said. I think there's been a change inside Apple in their thinking about the Mac since 
the, I think, error, unforced error they did on the pro. And I think the two that they introduced at the event are maybe the first pieces of evidence of that. I expect them, and I, I realize I'm leaving out the 12-inch MacBook because I don't understand what that is and where that fits. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, given given the price and the and the and the uh, capability, you know, it just I don't understand it. But it, you know, it isn't even 18 karat gold. I mean, I I I don't know. Yeah. Um, I assume, and I nobody's this is not nobody's told me this, but I assume they are working on an ARM-based Mac. I assume they're working on more Macs. I, I think that this, this is meant to put a stake in the ground for the consumer side to say, okay, here's your MacBook Air, all modernized up, but not pushed into new territory. I think there is new territory, and I think they're looking at it. You know, I know there are Windows machines out there, but I'll, I'll repeat, I think it's not all the hardware. HP has done a beautiful job, De- even Dell, and I say even Dell because I don't think their hardware was generally very good over many years in the past, but they've done a nice job. But um, I think Windows remains a little bit of a confused situation, and Apple is making, is keeping this division. So the answer to the question, Dieter, is I, I think more Macs are coming that will, will be more advanced than this. I do. I really do. Yeah. So I'm not buying a second one of these to put in, this, in the closet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the bunker remains. All right, well, well thank you so much. I know we, we kind of called you out of the blue here. So let us know when you're done setting this thing up and, when, and what you think of it. I will. Take care, guys. All right, see you, man. Thanks, Walt. Bye. Man, I love that man, truly. Dieter, I want to ask you about T2, and then we should move on to the next thing. So the, T- the T2 chip is like crazy, right? It like does a whole bunch of stuff. So it it's the security element. So it has a secure enclave for your fingerprint sensor, and it turns the microphones off when you close the laptop. But uh, I does think it physically not- disconnect the microphones? I read there somewhere that it physically disconnects the microphones, which seems crazy to me. Like it, I I, I do like not. There's know a little if there's guy a, that's a little unplugging them. Actuator, yeah, that <laughs> that, that I, I cannot speak to. Uh, but it keep, it phys- it keeps the rest of the system from seeing it. It also handles the audio on the speakers for some reason. Um, sure, uh, but to me the most important thing that it does is it handles uh, just like it does on the the other Pro Max. It handles uh, real time encryption for the SSD, which means that you can have File Vault turned on and have everything fully encrypted on your computer with no loss to speed. And I think, you know, it runs a BIOS, blah, 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 blah. In a way, I, it's, it, it, to me, it, it really seems safe to say that the T2 is Apple learning how to do more stuff on the Mac with its own custom silicone so that when it wants to switch the CPU over, there won't be that many surprises. Yeah. I think there's also an element of, I mean, it also handles like video encoding, which is like deeply hilarious to me. Um, yeah. All those people encoding video on their, their MacBook Airs. Remember the um, Elgato stick that we all used to have to buy? We'd stick yeah. In, anyway. I loved that thing. I think there's an element of they need to give that pr- the Intel processor like some headroom. Like they they need yeah. to give it some space. So like they're going to move a bunch of stuff just over to it and then I don't know if they can move more stuff, right? Like that turns into rearchitecting the operating system. But that's it's the but thing I, I, I think want that's, most that of. has to come. I I had a whole riff in the review that was like the reason that this thing isn't like holy crap is like blame Intel. And Intel's had some bad years. They haven't advanced enough in chips and so on and so forth. And I had a whole like way to go, Intel. You really you really the, the MacBook Air would have been the most amazing computer ever if it weren't for you. Wow. <laughs> 
No, but we cut it because it's a little bit unfair. Uh, honestly, it's not like the right thing. And also, again, other laptops of comparable size have a more powerful Intel processor and like nothing exploded on them. Yeah. yeah. That's a battery life. <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I, so that's no, no, the it, other reviewers have said that it's really good, that they're getting really, really good battery life. I am finding that it is very, very workload dependent. Um, if you are just using Safari and email and doing basically like Chromebook stuff, like basic computer stuff, um, you can get eight, nine, maybe even 10 hours, I think. Uh, Apple claims 12 web, of uh, web browsing. For me, I uh, run my Mac with uh, TweetDeck and sometimes Chrome. And so I'm like getting seven to eight. That was one of the things about the original MacBook Air, the other thing, or the second MacBook Air, the thing that people love so much, especially when they switched that MacBook Air to the Haswell Intel processors. Yeah. Um, you could just got like magical battery life, just magical battery life. But this thing has a higher resolution screen. It sure doesn't get as bright as I'd like it to. And, you know, it's got this processor that they need to clock at whatever they're, they're clocking it at and wadding, you know, powering it at the TDP, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so that it's like, Physics, I think, keeps it from having like true 12 hour battery life. But that's not a huge knock. I think a lot of other computers, especially computers that have those U series processors, you end up kind of in the same zone. I'm a little bit bummed. And like, this is where I actually am mad at Intel is we seem like we were creeping up on a world where like you actually could just not worry about having to plug your computer in all day. I think we're backsliding a little bit. Like things were getting really good and you could see a path to it. And I, I feel like we've gone backwards a little bit on that. And that's, I don't know, it's a bummer. It's especially a bummer on this MacBook Air because uh, it doesn't have MagSafe. And I know that most of us, uh, if you're listening to this, you probably haven't used a MagSafe laptop in a long time. I'm using one right now. I'm using one right now. A lot of people that have uh, old, you know, MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros, like that that was a genuinely good, great, useful thing. And uh, it's a bummer to see it gone, especially since the battery life isn't holy crap good. You know, I I was like really MagSafe for us, like here the company had become this like standardized connector, even though it's proprietary. Like everybody had a Mac, so there were just like power adapters everywhere, and I could just like wander around and plug. And so I was sad. And then I interviewed the CEO of Anchor this week. Oh yeah, it was on Tuesday, and he's like, "Look, we ship like the world ships like four billion power bricks every year. Like that's the number. It's four billion." And he's like, "We should stop that." And so I'm I'm willing to accept the USB C transition pain. If, like, I can just plug my stuff in and we're not making more, like, e-waste and it's just simpler everywhere, I think there's years of pain along the way. But that hearing that stat, it finally just, like, clicked for me. Like, oh, we make a lot of garbage. Yeah. Like, we, like, physically produce a shitload of garbage every year just to charge stuff. Well, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that this MacBook Air, if it does sell in big numbers, is going to be one of the things that pushes USB-C forward, you know, and, and you know, speeds up the transition period and gets us better... USB to C devices. Like I'm, I'm actually genuinely hopeful for that. Yeah. Um, I will say now, now that we've gotten through talking about USB C on this MacBook Air and USB C on the iPad, um, I'm, I'm, I've spun all the way back around. Apple has a lot of decisions that are good for Apple for leaving the iPhone Lightning, but it doesn't have any good, any good reasons that are actually useful for consumers for leaving it Lightning. Yeah, I can't. I feel like they, they went to USB C on the iPad. The excuses for leaving Lightning on the phone are. Or dwindling. There's no turning back. Yeah. Once they once they switch the iPad, it's over. Yeah. I think they. <laughs> well, I mean, there's like a variety of reasons. That, like, a people have, there's like a lightning ecosystem in the world, but yeah. Same so excuse for it. for the iPad. 
Yeah, but there are fewer yeah. iPads. <laughs> like the pain just, is like way lower. Do you want to live in a world where you carry two SD card adapters with you? Think about that. I already live in that you, world. You, <laughs> what are you talking about? You I've been li- in that world for years. Oh. Apple missed the moment with the iPhone 10. They could have switched the iPhone 10 to USB-C and everyone would have been like, grumble, grumble, grumble. It wouldn't have sold as well, but mm. they would have signaled it was the future and there's enough other stuff changing in it that people would have been like, okay, I get it. You know, we did the uh, the USB-C montage for the iPad Pro review. Yeah, um, that box is coming to me for the Pixel Slate, by the way. It's beautiful. We packed all, we packed all your stuff up. It's well, coming. Well, enjoy the party light because it is the most fun. The one thing that came super late was the USB-C to 30-pin adapter. So you can plug the old iPod 30 pin into the. Uh, oh my god! And it 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 just doesn't do anything. <laughs> like, I don't even know if there's wires inside of it. Like it literally just does nothing. <laughs> so I have it. It's an amazing adapter, but we couldn't make it do anything. All right, we're gonna do this week in Elon with Liz. We're gonna have an ad, and we'll come back. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow dirtbags and everybody else, welcome to This Week in Elon. My name is Elizabeth Lopato. I'm the deputy editor at The Verge, and we are here to talk about Tesla's board. So Tesla has appointed Robin Denholm, who is already on the board, to be the, the chair of the board of directors. And the reason, of course, that that has happened is it was a condition of the settlement that Musk reached with the Securities and Exchange Commission in September to uh, settle the fraud charges related to his funding secured tweets, right? So he's out as chairman and Dunholm is in as chairwoman. But of course, Musk is remaining on the board. Possibly you are wondering who is Robin Dunholm? Good question. So she is the CFO, was the CFO, and head of strategy at an Australian telecommunications company called Telstra. And so she's given notice and is going to be full-time chairwoman at, at Tesla. So the other, the other thing that to keep in mind is that, you know, um, there are going to be some people added to the board also as a result of this SEC settlement. The reason for that is that the board has come under fire for not being sufficiently independent from Musk. So part of what she is coming into, actually, and we know this because um, public companies have to file documents. Part of what she's coming into is a subpoena from the SEC around Model 3 production, as well as two DOJ probes, one around funding secured, the other around Model 3 production. Okay. The reason why I mention this is that uh, Tesla disclosed that they had been subpoenaed about their Model 3 production numbers by the SEC. And I'm not an expert, but subpoenas seem possibly bad. Anyway, because I'm not an expert, I called some experts and they confirmed that. Receiving subpoenas is never a good thing. Former SEC Commissioner Harvey Pitt emailed when we asked him. They are a fairly serious step. And of course, it doesn't mean that there's any wrongdoing that's occurred. It just means that the SEC is extremely interested in your business. Now, there's a bunch of sort of like lawyer rules, which I'm going to skip because we will be here for 15 minutes if I go through them all. But it is worth noting that there has actually been a shareholder lawsuit around Model 3 production. It was initially dismissed in, I think, August. And... It has been refiled. So it looks like there's like a, a fair amount of litigation that's just kind of hanging over Tesla right now. And here's the thing about SEC subpoenas. They can give information to the DOJ. And in fact, some, some members of the FBI literally work in the SEC office. So they are in close communication. 
So basically what's going on is that there is at minimum a very exhausting documents process of assembling everything that could be required by the subpoena, going through emails, looking at uh, memos, whatever, whatever else. So at minimum, this is going to be a distraction. And of course, at maximum, it could be quite dangerous. So that's what Robin Denholm is coming into as chairwoman. I'm sorry, Robin. But, you know, also congratulations, girl. Like, that's pretty big news. Uh, you ever want to give an exclusive interview to somebody, you know where I am. A couple of other things going on in the Elon world. It looks like SpaceX is seeking a new loan for about $750 million to put cash on the balance sheet. Now, SpaceX, you may remember, is involved in two very big productions. One of them is a network of satellites that will give you space internet. And the other, of course, is the BFR, the Big Falcon rocket. Obviously, those things are capital intensive. That probably explains the loan. According to Bloomberg, it's coming from Bank of America instead of Goldman Sachs, as was initially reported. So Goldman Sachs was previously leading talks between SpaceX and people who might want to give SpaceX some money. But that has changed. So a lot of stuff going on in the sort of the finance world of Elon. For instance, you know, Tesla is expecting to invest up to $6 billion in the next two years to ramp up their China operations. And all of this obviously is going to be part of uh, Robin's job. So Robin Dunholm, congratulations. I am very much looking forward to see what you do. That's been This Week in Elon. I'm Elizabeth Lopato. Thank you very much. This episode of The Virtual House brought to you by Better Mortgage. Better Mortgage believes in a mortgage process that feels as magical as getting the keys to your new home. They're doing it by combining technology with amazing customer service to deliver better pricing, commission-free loans, and a personalized way to see how much house you can afford. The result, in 2018 alone, Better has served over 10,000 families, saving them days worth of stress-filled time, $3,500 in upfront fees, and $3,000 every year for the next 30 years. Plus, with a better price guarantee, if they can't beat a competitor's offer, they'll give you $1,000. Find out how much house you can actually afford right now on your phone in just three minutes. Go to better.com slash verge to start the mortgage process so simple it feels like magic. Not available in all states. See better.com slash terms. All right. Paul. Mm-hmm. Every week my friend, a segment begins Yeah, with you saying the same words, and they are. I always say the same words. I always say, hashtag dongle what? <laughs> and what is spelled W-U-T, just in case you didn't know. Uh, yes, yeah. good. I, I okay, so obviously new iPad with a new plug. This is, this is easy material for hashtag dongle what? Because we have <laughs> the hyperdrive for iPad Pro, right? Of course, a USB-C hub. You get your headphone jack. You get SD card slots. Maybe you like to have three three SD card adapters. <laughs> HDMI port, USB-A, USB-C power delivery. But here's what's really exciting. It basically bolts to the side of the iPad. So instead yeah, of why is a it cord, just a cable? It doesn't make any sense. And there's like diagrams. It looks like it says it, says it, it, it won't scratch your... Let's see. <laughs> Secures USB-C hub in place without blemishing the iPad Pro surface, which makes you wonder, how did you get so close to blemishing the iPad? <laughs> it's like there's a multi-part diagram with these like like trans like plastic brackets and then they screw into the hub. It's really exciting. So it's just it just makes your iPad look really ridiculous. It's great. I love it. I love that they show a thumb drive plugged into it. That can mm. do nothing. 
It does make me think that the placement of the port on the iPad, at some point, they should rethink it. I know they've got the speakers in the corners, but yeah, just like where? smack in the middle of one of the sides is like down in a corner. They should put it down in a corner. Oh. Yeah. Johnny I just gave an, an interview to The Independent, which is like a classic, wonderful Johnny Ive hyperbole, where he was like, you know, the first iPad, there was uh, uh, an orientation, and now through the magic of technology, there's no more orientation, and you can just, it's a magic piece of glass. It's very, mm-hmm. it's, you should read it. It's great. But like, it definitely has an orientation. Like, there's an yeah. Apple logo on it. It points in one direction. It doesn't like magically rotate. The port is at the bottom. The camera is at the top. And so like, there's that, first of all. And then when you put it in a keyboard case, the port is off to the side. Like there's only one way to mount it in the keyboard case. You guys are thinking of a world where you are so productive on your iPad Pro that you're actually using it at work and you need it to be plugged in. Well, so Apple is like, yeah, you're gonna it's same same as your uh, as your your laptop. You you come into work, your iPad Pro, you unfold it, you clip open the keyboard case, you plug in one cable, it lights up your external display and your you know whatever else you have going on and mm-hmm. power, and you're you're off into the races. And it's like, but. All it can do on the external display is mirror the iPad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why would you do that? You know, and like Keynote and other stuff can do it. Um, and like they can put up, you know, one slide here and show you the next slide on your iPad screen. Uh, but I mean, that's their vision, right? You're just going to plug in one cable and get power and all the other stuff you might need. So a bunch of hubs worked. It's just very funny. It is. I, I didn't put this in the review. The iPad is USB-C 3, USB 3.1 Generation 2. And then the MacBook Air is Thunderbolt 3. Yeah. And that, I think, is going to confuse the shit out of people. Like, yep. even just in testing the iPad, we were like, what cable is what? You know, like, Apple just ships you a power cable in the box. It's like, it's just like a lot of stuff to, to know the difference between what will work on a MacBook. Well, you can't plug an external GPU into the iPad, right? Because it's not Thunderbolt. But you can do it in the MacBook Air. So there's just a lot of, let's see what's going on here. But I'm pretty I mean, sure Thunderbolt people. isn't the thing that's keeping the iPad from working with any GPU. <laughs> Pretty, pretty sure that, that that's there's something else. There's some other factor. <laughs> It'd be wild. It'd be wild if it did. If you couldn't read a thumb drive, but it's like, yep, this eGPU totally works. <laughs> Take that Xbox. Oh man, the Xbox graphics thing. Yeah, great. Your processor's real fast. Like no game on here looks as good as an Xbox game. Like it's just not not a thing. All right, let's talk about this real quick. This was literally happening while we were podcasting just now. Dieter, mm-hmm. what is going on with Android and foldable phones? So both uh, Google and Samsung have developer conferences today, and Google jumped the gun. They were going out at the same time, but Google said, hey, we're going to support foldable devices. They called them foldables. Oh, my. Yeah. Google's My Google phone thinks I'm talking to it right now. And they basically are using stuff that's already built into Android right now. They're saying, if you make an Android app, make sure you support this thing called screen continuity that makes your app not go crazy when people put it in windowed mode on Chrome or when they turn their phone sideways. If you do that, it'll support, you know, when the thing unfolds, it, it will set that's the, they'll send that flag. So they're basically telling everybody, look, this is how Android should handle foldables. Don't make any custom APIs. It's a way to r- limit fragmentation. But in terms of like forward facing future stuff, features in Android, they're not talking about that yet. Then about, I don't know, an hour later, we saw Samsung, Samsung prototype of a foldable Android phone. I'm looking at the photo right now for the very first time. And it, it sure <laughs> does look like a little tablet. My 
nearest understanding, Google said that Samsung's device is going to get released next year. Samsung is trying to tell developers how it wants developers to make apps for this phone. But the the basic goal here is for Samsung's making this thing, Royals making a thing. Presumably, LG will roll out a knockoff, uh, you know, within two weeks. And so, for all these phones that are foldable, Google wants to make sure that they all work in basically the same way. And they're working with Samsung to make that happen. This is like a new thing that Google does with Samsung, right? Samsung's like, we have a crazy idea. And Google says, wait, hold up, slow it down. We want to be ahead of the curve and actually support it directly in Android, not have you build some crazy fork of Android. This is like, I would say it's a third or fourth time they do something along these lines. Uh, So that's cool. Who is Royale? Where do they come from? And why do they have a foldable display? I have a theory. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Yes. Uh, they're they're, They're the fourth shift company. There's a there's a company like name Royale and their division something else or whatever and they're hanging out at the factory where Samsung is making these displays, uh, making Ooh. these phones, and they're like, hey, we know Samsung's doing it, but we could just like sneak in there and get it out the door since all that stuff is there they're working on it anyway. So they just they just like Paul said they were first to fold. Um, first to fold. But I think that <laughs> wait so but Dieter that that would imply that Royale has very similar technology to Samsung. No one yeah, knows. I don't think that's true at all. Um, I mean, Samsung literally turned off the lights at its event, so you couldn't see the phone. You could only yeah. see it folding. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they also um, announced that Bixby now supports third-party apps, just in case you're yay. wondering. That's, I've been waiting for that. That's the thing that'll save Bixby. <laughs> yeah. No, but, like, remember when, like, the Essential Phone came out and it was, like, a notch, and then... We're like, oh, and then Apple did it, and then everybody did it, and it was like out of nowhere, everybody was able to make this thing. I think that there are like one or two factories that out of nowhere are able to like get this one particular kind of folding screen to actually work at scale, and so everybody's just going to make one because they can. Yeah, Intel was hinting at it. Microsoft's been hinting at it. It's just going to happen. There's a GIF on the verge. We can see it fold. I'm watching it fold over and over. It's very exciting. The screen folds. Oh, into there it is. The oh, it inside. folds in. The screen's inside. The screen's Ooh. inside, and then there's another screen on the outside. Screen on the outside. Oh, it's so good. Oh, that's boy. all I've ever wanted in my life is this many screens. This makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, they can't. They can't fold it like you know, fully flat, right? Because that would yep. break the screen. And so, this in your pocket is going to be a real, a real. Moment. This is my next phone. I don't care. I'm all in. Bixby forever. <laughs> This is, I can't not have this. I'm going to sew new, larger pockets on. Yeah. I did ask Google why Android, because if you have a tablet, there's no good Android tablets. There's only uh, the new Chrome tablets. Um, I mean, there's a Samsung's Android tablet, but come on. So if you have a bigger screen, you probably want a desktop class browser on it. Otherwise, you just run into iPad problems, right? Uh, and they're just like, no, we, th- we think of this as like an extension for phones. I don't, I, there's like, it's going to be a minute before you can fold this out and have a real computer in there. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Samsung is like, what if you unfold it and it's like, Dex is here. Mm-hmm. Think yes. Sam- like Samsung I, has the opportunity to go insane. By the way, this is folding. And when it's folded up, the third display, you know, the third one on the front yeah. uh, is suspiciously small. It has like yeah. a giant yeah. forehead. Probably uh, the this largest, is great. largest bezel I've seen in my lifetime. Ever. I don't care. Yeah. I'm buying I'm buying the hell out of this phone. It's the only phone I'm going to use forever. I think for this phone, they should bring back the bloops. They should bring <laughs> back the, the, the Galaxy bloops. Oh, my God. All right. We got to wrap this up. I can't. I mean, I just have to watch this gift for the rest of the day. So we got to wrap this up. A couple of things. 
uh, we didn't mention it all, but we are taping this the day after election day. Uh, there was an election in the United States of America. Uh, there's a new Congress. The House is full of Democrats and the Senate's full of Republicans. That means a bunch of tech policy stuff is going to change. Mm-hmm. Go look on the website. We have a really great new policy reporter. Her name is McKenna Kelly. She's doing a bunch of reporting. She just interviewed yep. Senator Mark Warner about how he plans to regular tech. He's he's one of the smarter thinkers on that stuff. He said he would break up Facebook as a last resort, but he wouldn't nationalize it because he's yeah. a capitalist. Uh, oh, great. hey, uh, Nilay, Wisconsin Valley has a new governor. Yeah, That's true. your buddy. <laughs> Scott Walker is gone. Uh, he they took another run at him and they beat him. So there's a new governor in Wisconsin, a new governor for my uh, my hometown. I suspect the Foxconn story is going to change dramatically. So there's a lot of that stuff we didn't talk about on this show because, honestly, we had to yell about USB-C ports. But it's all on TheVerge.com. Read that stuff. We're going to be covering a lot. I'll probably uh, do an interview episode to talk about policy changes with the new Congress. So be on the lookout for that. Speaking of interview episodes, the anchor CEO, uh, Stephen Yang, episode is up in the feed. And next week, I talk to Sukinder Singh Cassidy, who is the new president of StubHub. So we talked about StubHub a bunch. Just some wild ideas for like the future of ticketing. But we didn't talk about this either. Last week, like 20,000 people walked out at Google across the yeah, world huge. to protest kind of a pervasive culture of sexual harassment and discrimination. Sukinder not only was Google's president of Latin America and Asia, she built those businesses from the ground up at Google. She also um, is a chairman of a, a, a foundation called uh, The Board List, which places women into senior roles on boards and executive committees. So you had a lot to say about that. So check that out. It's coming next Tuesday. You can listen to other Verge podcasts. Like I said, why'd you push that button? Is this, this week's episode is terrific. Go check that out. You can listen to Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. You can listen to Pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. And you can listen to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. All wonderful podcasts. Everywhere podcasts are served. And you can just tweet at us. It appears that all of you know what my Twitter is because you all have thoughts about the iPad. But uh, Paul is at Future Paul. Dieter's at Backlon. I'm a reckless. Let us know what you think. Uh, and that's it. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll. Paul. 8K AI plus 5G. Oh, God. <laughs>Hey, VergeCast listeners, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat. From an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out. And if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.